Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. Greetings and welcome to a Friday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is March 31st. Just Brendan here. Sorry, that was a little anticlimactic. Uh, no Andy here to join me at the start to shout my name. Uh, Andy is on vacation. We will be together Saturday by Saturday night in Augusta, Georgia, ready for a full Masters week, bringing you daily podcasts during tournament play as usual. This was the original sort of going on the road show, I think 2019, and that yielded a pretty good masters. Um, and obviously when we're together, we feel like it generates some pretty good podcasts and, and some pretty uh, good fun amongst the two of us. So we're looking forward to next week at the masters. Um, but before that, we have this Friday episode for this. I did sort of a panel. We, with two very divergent topics and two, you know, very esteemed guests, for very different reasons. Uh, I'm joined first by Joel Beal, a uh, former colleague of mine when I was at Golf Digest there for a year, but obviously a, a, another a friend in, in golf media just published this larger piece on Augusta National Golf Club and sort of its plans for future expan expansion, some tension about that. Uh, it was really a, 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 an enlightening piece. He gets into the process of reporting that. He talks about, I'll leave it for the interview, how many people he'll talk to. It's a staggering number. Some of the things he learned about the new course or the potential second course they might design, as well as all the other sort of tension and uh, future of the club and what it was like getting to talk to a lot of members for the reporting of this piece. So uh, I thank Joel for the time. And then on the second half, I'm joined by Ryan Nanny, also a former colleague of mine at Vox Media host of the shutdown forecast and he is a, a like a real comedic genius also just a really smart person who i lean on a lot for content ideas and thoughts and i had him on for golf advice so we talk a little bit about live orlando as a floridian a former floridian with lots of insight on that culture uh lives descent on orlando and then we answer three or four golf advice questions so thank you guys for your continued support i'm going to jump right now into the interview with joel all right. I now welcome in Joel Beal, who is a senior writer for Golf Digest, a uh, friend of mine, friend of the program, I guess. Maybe. I don't think he's been on before, but uh, for my money, the best golf writer going right now. And I might say that somebody else in different company, Joel, but because uh, we're friends a lot. But yes, if you're among the best uh, and probably, you know, I love him following his work he's he's not he's not the thirstiest guy out there he, he just goes about it and cranks out good reporting good stories good writing um so i think that that and that combined with the work makes him pretty much my favorite going right now um and he had a big big story in golf digest the magazine i got print i got the old school print i flipped through it last week and it was posted to the internet uh this week ahead of ahead of the 2023 masters it's on augusta national uh, and its tentacles and expansion, its identity. Uh, so we decided to have him on to talk about it. First of all, Joel, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it, the time. Hey, no, but thanks for uh, having me on. I uh, told my neighbor 
that we were taping this last night Uh-oh. and he went into like a four minute diatribe uh, of he has a pitch for you guys of how to help your connection issues. So afterwards, we'll have to connect you. He's, he's a technical support here. Yeah. Deeply concerned with the audio. Okay. Uh, nonsense you guys <laughs> on a weekly basis but, uh... well i mean that's a feature not a bug we like to say <laughs> but yes i mean if you come to this podcast for high audio quality then you're in the wrong place um but you know we try to work our way through and it, it's gotten markedly better i gotta say markedly better for you know i don't know if by design or what but it has gotten better over the years so definitely um yeah. All right, let's start with the the story. What's the title? What was the official title? It's Inside Augusta, Augusta National's Expansion Debate, A Second Course, More Housing, Even More Influence is the digital title. I don't remember what the, the print one was, Inside Augusta National something. Yeah, I think Inside Augusta's Growing Pains. Um, it's it's It went through a few different iterations just because it was somewhat hard to encapsulate everything the story yeah. kind of ties into. But I think we went ultimately went with Growing Pains. What has been the reaction so far? It was lauded on golf Twitter. It was lauded in the golf internet. It got widespread distribution and sharing, and people were enthusiastic about reading it. And a uh, uh, friend of the program, Kevin Van Valkenburg, who's uh, you know authority I trust a lot on these matters, called it, I think, riveting to me. So it's been really well received in sort of the golf audience space and golf journalism spaces, but. What's been the reaction for you so far? Maybe the subject of the story, Augusta National, but also obviously in the golf world you're connected to. Yeah, I think most of it has been positive. I think there's been a few people who've reached out um, that helped with the story that we've, you know, this the genesis of the story goes back to the fall of 2021. So, um, you know, initially we were looking to do this for the, you know, last year's Masters, but you know, a couple months into reporting, I realized it's, it, there was too much there. And honestly, I needed a good, you know, 20 or 30 more voices. So um, it's been a long time. And because of that, people I talked to early on, I think maybe had a different idea of what it ultimately would look like. So there was a little bit of, gotcha. you know, soothing just to make sure, you know, something wasn't taken out of context. Um, you know, the, the, for the most part, it's been kind of radio silence from those from Augusta Nashville, which I don't know if it's good or bad. Um, but there, there wasn't anything of, hey, we're, you know, what the hell was this? That was kind of the biggest thing I was trying to keep in mind of to try to do everybody right and make sure I, I gave everyone's viewpoint and perspective a fair shake. So, um, yeah, I hope hope readers and fans liked it. It was a lot of fun to do. Um, definitely one of the more grueling things um, just from a time standpoint and trying to discriminate what to use and, I mean, just as importantly, what not to use. Um, so, but yeah, overall, it seems like people uh, have dug it. When did you start it exactly? Probably the f- September of 2021. Um, okay. You know, the um, kind of what spurred it was so connections we've made over the years had told us there was some kind of growing tension in the club of maybe where things were going in terms of future projects and kind of what the event had become. And we had a lot of input there. The kind of issue was, though, is that there's so many tentacles of this that you want to make sure you get the other side. And that took a while to gain those kind of folks trust um, to kind of show what we were trying to do. I think understandably, understandably so they thought because, you know, pieces have been done like this in the past and they, some of them have been, you know, 
drive-bys and that's the yeah. last thing we were trying to do but i think that's that was the fear so it took a lot of time to show different things we've done kind of on this subject or sensitive subjects to show hey we're not we're not in this to just take a flamethrower to the club or to people talking and more importantly how do we make sure we, we keep people anonymous through this um, without blowing up their spot as well so a uh, kind of a lot went into it and um yeah it's I hope that comes through the piece. That was kind of my biggest fear of, I, I didn't want to do anybody wrong. Cause a lot of people went out on a limb to talk to us. Um, and yeah. I don't want to say, you know, danger their station, but I, I'm, if, if some people kind of got caught that they talked to us, I think they could be in a little bit of trouble. So um, we went to great pains to make sure we didn't um, reveal any of our sources. So um, yeah, but so far um, it's been pretty positive. The way we're talking about this is just, it's kind of amusing to me. It just, it's yet another um, sort of exhibit of how Augusta National is so different. We're talking about a golf course and the way, you know, we're, the terms we're using, it sounds like some sort of secretive ops to, you know, kill Osama bin Laden or someone inside the Ukraine or things like, you know, endanger people. Like that is the case because of the parameters of the, sort of the ground rules of how Augusta National set itself for operating. It's incredibly, uh, you know, it's the most scrutinized golf course and club in the world and, and covered and discussed golf course in the world. But also it's, it's, you know, ad, it's adherently secretive, right? I mean, it, the, the, the members are not supposed to talk to the press uh, about this. They, I'm sure they can talk about, you know, whatever their businesses or whatever else, but like it is not, they do not give public comment on anything save for a couple topics throughout the year and around their events, the amateur events that they co-host and in the masters. Um, so I guess that was like, for me, there, there's like this reporting process, but then there's also the subject of the piece that, that are, are duly fascinating for me as, as a, someone who's in golf media. Um, how long, so like how many people did you talk to? What was the most, you said 20 to 30 was a number you threw out there. And clearly in the piece, a handful of them are members. You don't have to say that how many there were, but they're described as, you know, long time ones with considerable voices, newish members. So it seems like a, a varied swath of, of membership, but how many people did you talk to? So ultimately for the story, just over 70, um, you probably reached out close to 300 different people. And that's just not members. It's, you know, folks yeah. who worked with the club. That's, you know, different uh, executives with government bodies um, who've had dealings with the tour, people who've been consultants, um, play, some players who have, you know, some inside dealings with the club. Um, not that I used all 70. And that was, that was actually the tough part because, you know, there'd be some conversations where you'd realize this person has an ax to grind. So I can't really use their stuff. It seems like they kind of yeah. are Augusta. I mean, you can hear what they have to say and definitely let it lead to other places, but they're kind of coming at it. Um, at, at an angle we don't necessarily want. There's also uh, folks who you can tell maybe are playing a game of telephone, um, which mm -hmm. is that's that's hard to kind of deal with. And then the, the 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 toughest part for me was there's a few folks who I, I in my heart of hearts I know they were telling the truth, but it was the only time I would hear this tidbit. And so anything I put in the story, I made sure I had at least two or three people back up, um, just because there is so much. <laughs> So much to this piece, I wanted to make sure I could back it up with multiple people and multiple people who weren't necessarily connected to each other. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say I think it was 72. I did a count the other night. I probably out of that maybe used 45 or 50, though. 
Um, the other part I should say, there were some things I used that or I couldn't use because I knew if I relayed them, somebody would definitely like only a few people had this type of information. And if I put that in there, they would definitely be found out. So that was a really hard part too, because there were just a couple pieces I think would have been uh for lack of a better word, juicy for the readers, but I also knew I'd be I'd be breaking my promise to keep these, you know, to keep our trust that these guys would stay anonymous. So um, I definitely a lot into it. And again, I, this, I know this all sounds very paranoid, but uh, no, 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 it makes sense. I mean, was there a concern that like it would never, you'd never get it to publication at some point? I mean, this it sounds oh, like it was mul- so- multiple yeah. times. The you know, <laughs> probably two months into this thing, I just realized that it just seemed very daunting. Um, and the people we did talk to, there was just no way we would be able to get the other side or just some of the other perspectives. Um, I think the few things that really helped were live because I think not, I mean, just everyone's coverage of it. Um, I think really there was this kind of crack that opened because of it. Um, even before the lawsuit happened that folks were really kind of, Hey, here's our kind of side of the, the club's view of live. And when, the club got brought into the lawsuit that really kind of fired some people up of, wait a minute, now we're being pulled into this. Okay. Let's hear, hear And they, that really aired people out. Um, there were a couple pieces too, that were, I think I did throughout the past year that won a few people over um, that helped gain their trust. So, but yeah, I mean, there were, I mean, heck, even until last July, there was a meeting in St. Andrews. who was somebody I'd been chasing for seven or eight months and they ducked me twice. And when I finally met them, it was, I don't want to say like it chewed out, but it was almost like a warning. And that just kind of, it, it, it was a little jarring just to say, you know, again, I'm, I'm just trying to do a, a piece on a, on a golf club at the end of the day. And, it's, and I'm acting like I'm trying to break a CIA secret or something. So right. it was, there were definitely times when it, it did seem daunting, but ultimately, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place with how it turned out. And um, while it's, you, as a writer, you definitely will show all your homework it um i think that that part can be a little disappointing at the same time i also feel good with what we put out so like you don't want to have a narrative first and then retrofit the reporting to like whatever that narrative was you wanted to write but like what was your working thesis or what provoked you to really start down this road and did that then change as you spent you know more than a year doing it it sounds like the, the initial was that fall about agitation over expansion, like some, some bubbling about that. Is that what, like, how did it change as, as you worked on this for over a year? Did you, did you, the narrative of the piece or the thesis of the piece start to change? Yeah. So the idea of there's some growing tension between, this is a very broad view, but maybe some, the, the best way to say it is kind of the older membership who maybe saw the club turning into something that they had not known um, versus kind of a, maybe a newer direction and this newer direction wanting to depart from some of the principles and ideas and values of the old club. That was kind of the, not that I agree with it, but that was the idea into it. Um, that did change though, because in the, somebody late in the process kind of really illuminated it for me of, listen, like this is what the club has always done. We, we think of this place as kind of being very stuck in traditions and the old ways. It's really one of the more trailblazing entities in golf um it it really is a a place of first it it really is a lot more forward thinking than we give it credit for and as that evolved and again the live piece kind of came in and the doj investigation it kind of changed it a little bit um 
and also just the tension. I think that was, I think it, while that does exist, I think that has a negative connotation, um, which is not something we necessarily wanted to do. And also like, listen, I get it. Everyone's really curious about what goes on in that club and the idea that what's presented as this unified front every year. Um, the idea that there could be some, you know, adjective for lack of a better word going on within the club. I think that's interesting to us, but if you've been around any golf club or any golf course, right. you know, that exists anyway. So if, if anything, I think that's kind of, listen, even at the, even at Augusta national, the things that you deal with up the street at your Muni, they deal with as well. So I think that was, I think a really important, um, thing to kind of remember throughout this process of, yeah, at the end of the day, this is a club and they have the same type of stuff that you deal with at your own place. Yeah. I, we are obviously fascinated by every little tidbit and tentacle. So many people, even just outside the golf world, it's Augusta is the one that resonates larger sports, larger news world, but it's like, these are, so this was fascinating to read and, and incredible insights, but like, also I, I wrote in the newsletter, like at the end, you're like, wow, these are a lot of really amazing first world problems to have. And and not totally, they're t- unique to Augusta, but not totally uncommon to every golf course like you talked about. But it's it's not a bad, I don't even know if it's a problem. Problem may be connoting too negative a thing too, like tension, right? It's it's like they've got a ton of money and, and they're trying to figure out in a, in a cherished sort of tournament, right? And it's brand and they're trying to figure out how they balance it all. So it, it is like a first world problem that any club would take or any organization would take. Right. And it's not like uh, people are taking personal shots at, a, at the other people or right. feel like they're out. But, you know, I, I think just because there's um, back and forth doesn't mean it's combative by any means. Um, but it is interesting that this, this place, it's just, it's just like a side that hadn't been told before. That's what kind of interested me um, in telling the story. Um, was there something that surprised you during the course a about the reporting process, but B also about what you found. That, that it seems like you were plugged in. You kind of you're in the golf world. You un, you know a lot about the club, anyways, and you hear a lot of the same rumors. A lot of people do walking around, but they're still just rumors. Was there something that surprised you? A, a piece within the story or within the reporting process that was like, whoa, wow, that that really surprised you? Yeah, the three things were the first was somewhat personal so you know i i definitely grew up loving the masters um you know it's it you know i would go with my dad to practice rounds every year um you know as a kid i would always practice at the you know course up the street that was you know this putts you know to win for, you know this 10 footers this is for the yeah. masters but uh at the same time you know I, I did grow up working at a public course and playing at a public course and uh, you know was very aware of you know the club's history and that's you know the most pride of all the private courses that that was kind of always like this weird thing to me that I always thought golf should be more like the, you know, the Scotland model of, Hey, these places are open for everybody. And, um, just even in the, I mean, you know this as well. Sometimes when you talk to people of power, they let you know that they're above, above you. And, you know, they're, uh, sometimes hard to deal with this. And that surprised me is that everyone I talked to, even the people who told me no, and I did get told no a lot, they were very, generous, very nice, just very humble people. Um, the, it's, it's interesting, like not to paint other entities that are governing bodies in a, in a negative light, but it just seemed like within 10 minutes, you forget you're talking to this very powerful person. You're just talking golf with a buddy. Um, that was kind of really endearing throughout the process. So I think that's kind of why 
everything runs so well at Augusta. I think there's just a certain type of people they they draw. Like one one person very late in the process when I asked kind of what qualifies now to be a member because they have kind of gone away from the network, I should say. Of it's you know it's it's you have to kind of know somebody to get in, and they don't really care about your status or if you're a CEO or things like that. Uh, but someone just really laid it out like, hey, no turkeys. And, you know, it, obviously that just means no no jerks allowed. So I think that really resonated in, in terms of the recording. Um, in terms of what I found, the, the, the second course, the idea of a second 18-hole course, just because you mentioned when you go on the, when you cover the Masters, you hear certain rumors. And this, this course has been rumored at least for the last two decades. And going in, I didn't want to talk about it because I thought it'd be like asking somebody, you know, what they thought about leprechauns, right? It's just something that it seems so fans, uh, fantastical. And then within the first six or seven people I talked to, they brought it up first. And then going forward, I felt I had, you know, I had enough that I could bring it up with conviction and not have, you know, eye rolls or disdain when I brought it up. And I'm not saying this is a year or two away, but there's certainly plans and ideas in terms of land acquisition and strategy and how we would go about this and how it would be used that this idea, this, this second 18 hole course should probably ultimately come to fruition. So that really surprised me. Um, the last thing, and this is again, kind of a, uh, it's more of an observation, but it's been pointed out by a few people. The, the dichotomy between Billy Payne and Fred Ridley, when members talked about Payne, it was always Chairman Payne, Chairman Payne, Chairman Payne. When they talked about Ridley, it was always just Fred. And I thought that was kind of an interesting um, note. And I th- the respect for both was really well known, but it just seemed like Payne was in this untouchable. They talked about him more as a figurehead rather than a person, whereas Ridley, it just seems like he's very, he has more personal interactions and relationships with people. And there's maybe not that aura of invincibility that Payne kind of brought to his uh, chairmanship. So that was just kind of an interesting thing, especially looking at what both have done and how they kind of present themselves. So that, that was just a little in- interesting observation throughout the process. Picking up off that, um, I mean, th- th- they're two very prominent characters throughout the story, probably the most prominent individuals throughout the story. Um, for me, I, it felt like there was like a unification there from like continue, like while they may be different types of people or perceived differently for me, it felt like pain sort of came in with the big ideas to push the club forward. Right. A massive major ideas had a, what was it? 12 or 13 years was he, yeah. he chairman. And it feels like that's continuing with Ridley. So it felt like there was like a unification there from one to the next in terms of big ideas, in terms of club pursuits. What were some of the differences then outside? Do you feel do you feel like that's a fair reading from me? Do you feel like they're there that's accurate, or or is it a little more probably more complicated than that? No, I think that's a. Um, I mean, clearly, if Ridley wouldn't have got the job without Payne's blessing, and yes. you know, obviously he wants the things he's planned out to be be ultimately carried out. So, um, yes, on that front, but I think also just in terms of relationships, the the biggest thing was, you know, Payne did kind of inherit the position when the club faced, you know, arguably it's, it's biggest PR backlash. Um, and the way he really turned Augusta around from, Hey, this is something instead of private, it's okay to be a little bit more public facing. And he was really trying to bring up the, the positive aspects of Augusta and trying to change its image. 
And I think he did that and I think he did it well. I think that also maybe rubs some other people in the golf community the wrong way that again, this club is yeah. has this big voice. Whereas Ridley now is very much more of I'm okay being a background character and, uh, and as an extension of the club, uh, we know we have the power. We don't necessarily need to tell everybody we have the power. I think that was kind of the really big thing. Pain kind of let you know who was in charge really is okay. He, he knows that, you know, <laughs> who he is yeah. he to tell you about it. Right. Right. Um, can you run down some of the changes that we will for sure see this year that this, I mean, I, I know we, I want to talk about some of the other ones with like that are more theoretical or, or generally planned at the, the future some point, like the big court, the second course you talked about, but what are like some of the specifics that we know we'll see immediately this coming next week? Yeah. The, the par three, course changes i think will be the, the biggest one uh to the to the patrons the not only just the redesign which i think has been detailed but there's a couple new entrances um I believe those a, a new memorabilia site um it's it's unclear if that's going to be finished in time if it's going to be open or not um but that's also in the, the plans um then obviously the the 13th hole that's the that's the one everyone also has seen um the there's a uh rumored steakhouse that will be also opened but i think it's just gonna be for the members which even that's just kind of crazy the all the plans and permits they have to go to basically run a steakhouse for four days for <laughs> a year um but that's that'll just be members only that, that'll also be on the part three course though okay interesting and then the bigger ones we talked about uh from your reporting and like, that's the thing that crystallized for me. Like, I had heard walking around that they want to, you know, run the exit ramp right into the right into the course or into the parking. You, you've heard about this second course um, and, and other grand ambitions, a little bit of the housing. But this is like based on talking to 70 people. Um, what do you feel like this is all? I mean, it's all it's all based on your reporting, it's in the plans, right? It, it's at least discussed. It's at least considered. It's also, I mean, some are probably farther along than others, but what about the future plans you think is most concrete or most uh, logistically imminent or possible? Definitely the exit uh, right into the the property. I mean, that seemed, if you kind of look at the recent plots of where the houses are buying, it's, it's towards uh, the, the south of the course, which would lead into the idea that they really are just trying to build an exit. And sure enough, you kind of talk to folks around Augusta of where the houses are being sold. That's kind of the idea of where it's going. So uh, I think that's the, the closest. And as the story talks about, a lot of that is more of a, more control of they, they, when they know patrons are coming to Augusta and they kind of want full control while you're there. Um, yeah. That, I think that's the, the most imminent um, in terms of the second course. Uh, you know, it's as someone mentioned, you're not going to buy an entire neighborhood strictly for a, a parking lot for the next whatever 30, 40 years. That that's that close. Um, certainly, there's some one of the initial plans, um, and this is you know 15, 20 years ago, was basically just to buy all the property on the kind of surrounding the course, um, just to have that advantage that they wouldn't eventually get something that they wouldn't want that close to um, the course, but. Yeah, the, the second course, I mean, I, I feel bad. that's the one thing I wish we could have just broke out to a second story because yeah. there's so many, so much depth there. And I mean, there, there was one conversation I had that basically broke down all the different 
plans that could have it. Like just the idea of what template do you want to follow? Do you want to follow something like Pinehurst, let's say that if you look at maybe number two and number four, they kind of have the same type of rhythm and tenor and the same kind of uh, course principles are seen on both. Or do you want to go something like Bandon, what has Bandon trails that's totally different from the rest of the courses on the, on the Bandon property. Um, so it, I say that to say the second course, is it supposed to be kind of like a, just a second Augusta national? Is it supposed to be something totally different? Do you adhere to the shot making principles that were in the original design of the course that, you know, as Andy has detailed um, on, on the fried egg, how that's really, the course has evolved over the years. It's kind of gone away from what the initial design looked like. Do you do something like that? Do you let a designer come in and just do their own thing and see what happens? Um, who would do it too would be the, it was a very contentious matter because, you know, obviously Ben Crenshaw is one very connected with the club, but is that something he wants to, he's one of the most respected and beloved guys in that club. When you take that position, all of a sudden you have all these other things thrown at you and there's a, there's a different um, weight to that. Do you, obviously there's been um, different advisors to it, but a lot of those advisors are, at a certain age where I don't think that's feasible anymore. So um, obviously architecture um, can be contentious at times. Everyone has a different idea of what they like and what's bad and what's good. So that was just interesting because it seems, um, and I should also add too, just what, how the course would be used. Um, the the yeah. default answer was always, well, you know, the opening rounds of the ANWA, which I don't doubt, but ANWA is a more recent development. These club plans for a second 18 hole course span way back. So why Why exactly would you build this course? What would it be used for? Um, one of the more interesting things was this idea of having a junior for a course for juniors and opening up to local Augusta youth to really say, hey, these drive, chip and putt things, they're not just for show. We really do care about making a difference. And what better way to show that than opening up our own property to let kids on and help, um, you know, help show that, that this is this is for real. Um, others just, Hey, <laughs> I just want a second course to play. Um, it, it's simple as that. So, uh, just the, the second course, it was definitely more, one of the more interesting things throughout this, you know, almost a year and a half process. So, I mean, it's, you don't have to go into specifics, but they are at a point where in your conversations, all the va various architects are being discussed. Purposes are being discussed, uh, style aesthetics of the course. It's all being discussed internal yeah i actually had one architect who had not um he said he's not been contacted um but he kind of laid out and i laid out 18 holes of what he would want to do with it and on the land that he thinks that he would be working with and that was the craziest part so i asked him point blank hey so this is what you know for sure he goes oh no this is just my idea of what land i would have to use um which i thought that was just bananas so um again it's there's definitely a couple of names that you can write off the top of your head, but even, even those names, they certainly have obligations for the next five or six years. So um, it is interesting how far along it is. Again, I don't think this is something we're going to hear Ridley announce um, next week that a, a second club is, is in the works, but I also don't think this is something 20 years down the line either. Uh, it's obviously inspired by original plans, right? So it's not just expansion for the sake of expansion. And it's an example of sort of Augusta, growing but also trying to adhere to traditions trying to adhere to visions of bobby jones clifford roberts others but also being progressive joining the modern world joining you know living up to its station as 
really a, a leader in the game and a really powerful voice. So that's like the constant tension uh, of the piece. And, and it's exhibited in this pursuit of a second course because it is in those original plans. They wouldn't do it without some tradition based um, impetus. For you, after all this reporting, do you have your opinion on where you land on the question of, you know, Augusta running the Masters or the Masters running the club? Has it this, you've said there's a tension here about expansion versus its original identity. It's not a quaint golf course in a four-day tournament anymore. It's a massive endeavor. After doing all this reporting, talking to all these people, where do you fall on that question, which seems to be like sort of the animating question of the entire piece? Yeah, I, I think I heading into this, I definitely leaned into, of course, the the Masters runs the club. How could you argue otherwise? Um, while I don't think that's untrue, I also think it, at the at the end of the day, they don't make the the decisions that are made are not made to the detriment of the club, and that's that's kind of the beauty and the beast of all this is that really trying to serve both masters and they they do they, they really so far you know as 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 much hesitation is with each different endeavor they take on thus far it that spirit and soul hasn't been lost um but that worry is there which is how we got so many people to talk to us in the first place is that at some point i don't want to say a misstep but when you keep keep going and keep going, keep going. The worry is 10 years from now, they look back and go, what, what is this place anymore? You know, like, is this really, there's a lot here. Like the, the, the thing always a lot of members cite is the practice facility. They, it's the, the members can't use the practice tournament practice facility. Um, that's strictly for the masters. And it's just a, it's a very big amount of property that's only used one week a year. That's, that's just an idea or a example of, why this is we're a club why why can't we use this or what's what's the point of this just for a tournament so um i i do think though it, it's not as all the way on one side of the spectrum and it's not an either or thing i as much as as much as that was kind of the idea going in i do think they have been able to to pull off both chores that makes sense yeah I mean, it doesn't sound like it's like this raging debate right it's just like a considered discussion amongst various yeah not not concerns but just yeah various stakeholders right it it doesn't sound like it's like this debate raging inside right now even if there might be you know concern about some future you can't you know the future misstep so Mm -hmm. um is there what's the agitation level with the doj investigation and certainly being is is that sort of the larger theme of we've been brought into this five families and we're now, are we on this, are we on the same footing as like the PGA tour? We're just a golf club. We're not the USGA. Um, is, is the DOJ investigation sort of live an exhibit of that really coming to fruition? Yeah. I mean, obviously I don't think that DOJ's investigation is happening unless live comes, you know, live happens and certain overtures are made by certain parties to look into certain things. Um, everybody I've talked to, did at least on the Augusta side. I can't speak for the other governing bodies. Um, they said on their front, it's more procedural that they're confident that they've been cooperative. Um, obviously, Liv and some of the things has made some accusations towards Augusta and some of its members um, that why such a, a probe is necessary. Um, I will say it has been a bit of a galvanizing thing in terms of 
the members were already, you know, it's not like, even though they had maybe different ideas where the club should go and should do, they were all kind of, there was still a certain camaraderie that came with being a member at Augusta national. Um, when you tend to be brought into something like this, I think it also builds um, that, that it amplifies that camaraderie even more. There's definitely not um, factions because of this, that people are splitting off and then people are upset at each other for these things happening. It's more of, all right, now we're definitely all in this together. So um, in terms of what will come about that, I do think you'll, in the next couple months, you could hear something, um, but how it actually relates to Augusta national um, the, the word I got from multiple people on multiple sides was just, this is just procedural procedural. Yeah. There was a quote at the end of the piece and I think it was, it was a member he's talking about some of the, the older guard or, or I don't know, people who were resisting change is stubborn. And he said, they believe they're protecting a vulnerable asset and vulnerable sort of jumped off the page to me, um, as, you know, when I talk about first world problems like Augusta National, the Masters, what do they what does he mean by vulnerable? And I know I'm not trying to tell you to ask you to get into his mind, but is there context around what that means? Like what what what's vulnerable? Is he talking about the tradition? Is he talking about sort of the yeah, the brand, the tradition and certainly not the course? I think it's more just how I mean, listen, golf is a very <laughs> we like golf and I, I include us in this. We like to complain about a lot of stuff, right? Uh in golf, people are very particular about what they think and how they feel. The Masters is about as close as you can come to a universal consensus of love and sentiment that you can find. I think that's what they mean of this is something that's very cherished. And that's something that you can't just take for granted. And if you do, that it can be, once you kind of lose that veneer, it's it's hard to get it back. Um, so this idea of kind of what we talked about earlier, keeping that spirit and soul I think that's what they look at as vulnerable. That's something they don't take for granted. Um, that, that's something that they know they've earned, but they also know they have to keep earning it. So this I, um, when you mentioned when this member had talked about this vulnerability, I think it was just the idea that we can't we can't just assume that how people think and feel about the masters is just how it's going to be in perpetuity. That's something that it has to be constantly um, constantly tended to. All right. I appreciate it. Joel. I've taken up more of your time. Anything else you wanted to add about, about the story? Not trying to give you the open floor here, but uh, you know, I, I want to make sure I let you say whatever you needed to say. Uh, it's, yeah. it's been an awesome thing to read and, and see you get sort of the praise you deserve for all the work that's gone into it. No, I appreciate you guys giving me the chance to talk about it. And um, yeah, this is, this is a lot of fun. Looking forward to seeing you next week. Yep. We'll see you down there. That's uh, Thank you, Joel. Thanks for joining us. See you, bud. Thanks to Joel for the time. Again, before I get to Ryan and golf advice, uh, I just want to say this episode is brought to you by Club Champion. Obviously, spring is in the air. Masters Week generally marks the start of the recreational golf season. And to get you dialed and set for that season, uh, I would recommend, or we would recommend, a visit to Club Champion. I think it's, you know, this is the way to go about spending hundreds of dollars or thousands, if you like, if you're rolling in it. Um, on a new set of clubs. I don't think it's a good idea to spend that kind of money going around with a ch- like a chicken with a head cut off. And Club Champion has the expertise, has the equipment on site to understand how poorly you hit it, how shitty you hit it, how well you hit it in some instances, and what equipment might be best suited for you for that case. 
Uh, they have 50,000 hittable head and shaft combinations in every store. They have 60 plus brands. That's why we partner with them. They're brand agnostic. They're not going to push you into one that's touting this or marketing that. Uh, it's like whatever you could have a preference and you could say, I don't want to go outside this, but they're going to let you hit whatever brands you want and tell you what came back the best, what looks like it might be the best. And you can come to a conclusion based on whatever subjective preference and objective data you might have. Um, we have top trained master fitters, uh, the average, the real results, average 22 yard increase off the T you average 17 yard increase with irons and 10 yard better dispersions. Uh, the code is all caps fried egg. You get 50% off the fitting cost, which is a substantial amount of money. 50% off the fitting cost when you purchase a club. So go to clubchampion.com, use the promo code fried egg. When you book your fitting, you'll get 50% off that fitting cost with the purchase of a club. Thanks to them for their support. Uh, now let's get to Ryan and some golf advice. All right. I am now joined by my former colleague, still friend, Ryan Nanny, one of the smarter people I know. I've watched him you know, lead large content teams, lead large teams, manage certain folks, uh, a lot of, you know, eccentric characters with eccentric problems maybe, and he would manage it all. So I figured he would be a great person to have in for golf advice. He's also a friend of the Shotgun Start, generally aware, I think, of our our, our mission or lack thereof. So uh, it's a joy. He's the co-host of Shutdown Fullcast the internet's only best college football podcast. Uh, you know, I think we have somewhat crossover where I, I doubt we're of your size, but similar audiences sometimes, sometimes. Um, but Ryan, you can follow him on Twitter at celebrity hot tub where he's a little bit of a legend in his own right. Ryan, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, I don't, were you there when I got altitude sickness at Lake Tahoe? During the uh, ACC? No, I decided to focus on the British Open, which was the oh, next week. And I okay. said, I'm not going to go to Tahoe, Tahoe with all the yahoos, uh, my coworkers. And I wish I had because it's Lake Tahoe in July. And it was with a bunch of celebrities. Would you play like beer pond ish with Justin yeah, Timberlake? And with Ka- Justin Timberlake. Yeah. And uh, I got to tell you, if you really want a humbling experience, go up against the celebrity in a competitive event where there are fans present oh, that's scary. because they'll just boo you because you're not the celebrity. Right. It's pretty it's pretty it's pretty good experience to have people rooting loudly against you. Well, Ryan, you you have done sort of many, many things in your historic uh, content creating career. You're a former lawyer and jumped that, jumped off that boat. You know, at least you, you got out of law school, unlike me. Um, but you are, you've done a fair amount of golf work is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you, you understand yes. the game. I see you playing every now and then, yep. um, but you are aware of, of professional golf, golf content, golf media. Uh, but I think not too aware. You're, you're aware enough, right? You're not yes. a total novice. Yes. So. Yes. I, I, I'm not going to have any like foundational questions about like, what is this? What is a birdie? Like, I'm not going to be there. But like, when I listen to you guys, I hope that I am, I'm aiming for like solid batting average with like people you're talking about. Okay. Where I'm like, I know who that is. Okay. And, but at least I'm like getting exposure to the other people that I have less familiar okay. with. Uh, one thing I would say you're you're a foremost Florida correspondent on general sure. Florida things. Sure. 
I'm wondering what you think like the whole live Orlando experience is going on. Right? I mean, it's a mix. It's it's pretty high spring break time now that I think yes. about it, which has yeah. to be a add to the circus. And they're right in the middle of it. We're, we're, our larger analysis has been on the course. It's at this place called Crooked Cat, which, you know, does not sound like particularly appropriate um, prep preparation for the Masters, which comes next week and of which I think 17 or 18 of them are playing in. Um, and Crooked Cat, which is Orange County Nationals, one of their courses, is like right in the heart by like, I think it's near the, uh, the whatever, the convention center, yeah, the old yeah. golf channel. Like I used, I used to drive around there when I was a golf channel, go to golf channel. There's a lot of shit happening. Let's just put yes. it that way. What do you think that experience is like for some of those surlier, uh, temperamental live, live fellows? I mean, on the one hand, um, like what there are no orlando sensibilities to offend you know like there's no like hey that's, that's not how we do things here in orlando <laughs> um, and 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 uh, uh, the other thing i think going for them is if you show up if you're live and you show up in like i don't know new hampshire or something like that that's going to draw some attention it's yeah. like oh okay lives here but to your point I don't think people re- like people know that Orlando has Disney and it has Universal, but it also has like a bunch of second and third oh, tier stuff. The international drive. I mean, I know yes. your Tampa is like your particular area of expertise, the Bay, yeah. but like Orlando's not far. But international drive, which we've, I think we've gone to meetings together down there yes, for Golf we Channel. Yes, we when did. we were with Vox. That's right. That um, that secondary market of right yeah. right so so you're kind of I mean it's a little like Vegas in some regards where just like there's so much people have so much going on and so much to do that I feel like Liv is going to blend in in the same way where you're like <laughs> like there's a the uh, the thing I like to talk about is that Orlando used to have it's either taken over or it's just sitting there defunct now. It used to have a theme park called Splendid China, which the Chinese government started to like boost American interest oh in Chinese gosh. heritage. And it had like a sca- the scale model terracotta warriors and a Great Wall of China. And, and, and that's just a thing that they had. There was a no- there's like if you're like, I want to go to medieval times, but it's booked out. There was a knockoff version of that called Arabian Nights. <laughs> like. The, the mini golf alone, yeah. I think Liv is going to actually fit in very nicely in Orlando in terms of like, there's just too much bullshit here. So just add them to the pile. Uh, I agree with you. That's that's a great way of putting it. And I just wonder if some of them, there's, there's some cognitive dissonance or self-reflection going on there. One or the other of like, how am I here? How, why did I get Orlando here? Do you think Orlando is where you go to do that? Do you think Orlando is where you go to have an awakening about who you no, are and I think why, you're, why you're on this planet? Maybe it would jolt somebody about, like, how did I end up at Live and why am I not just, like, getting on my private jet to go to Augusta right. National or yeah, in my rental no. home as opposed to battling through, uh, you know, Ripley's Believe It or Not crowd <laughs> and the Ferris wheel and the bungee cord or whatever else they got going on. Um, that, that maybe a few we hear often about how live like you know there's been some wake-up calls this year with Mm -hmm, some budget mm -hmm. tightening and i don't know it's just maybe not the experience they all envisioned up the start who could have seen that coming and i wonder if orlando the week before the masters (laughs) it is it is a very stark comparison right i'll I'll give you that like if you're like 
where are the two most different golf places? Orlando and Augusta National probably like are pretty far apart on the right, spectrum right. for sure. Have you kept up with Live at all? Like, uh, I mean, do you like? Uh, obviously, people follow it. Like, they understand it's a thing that's happening, but yeah. you don't like follow. Not the events. No, no. you no, know there I are mean, team like, names and stuff like that. Yes, and and like I think I exist in that group that paid a lot of attention to who is jumping ship. Yeah, when that first happened, and once that petered out. It was sort of, I will say this. I do pay attention to the terrible promo videos they make of like the parties and stuff because I think they're hilarious. The Tucson uh, walking through the lobby. Like, how it's like, how many meetings are they having where they're like, we got to get more glamour shots of the cocktail shrimp, guys? (laughs) (laughs) We really got to make the cocktail shrimp pop. That's true. That does seem like they. I don't know how many people they have on staff and how if it's probably a smaller amount than they did last year. But right, right. like this one guy is just carrying the burden and he's like just defaults to the carving station. <laughs> you know, like the bottles of Jim Beam. Maybe a fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a fire pit. Yeah. They zoom in on the, the Jim Beam was <laughs> like was Southern Comfort not available. Right. Like what's right. going on? <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not giving off the like, high dollar luxury vibes that I think they wanted it to. I'll say this. If you're 20, you're probably like, that's the best party I've ever seen. (laughs) Maybe who they're after. Who knows? Uh, All right. That concludes our live Orlando preview. Go crushers. (laughs) I don't know who's favored to win or what, what suit the course suits, what team, but uh, I guess we'll keep a, a kind of a side eye on that over the weekend the real reason i really wanted you here was to to answer some sgs golf advice questions this is our friday friday segment we're going to try to get through three or four i've sent you a couple just so you're generally aware of of topics i don't want you catch you off guard and like what kind of wedge should i use when i'm trying to hit this shot from a side hill lie that's not why i want you here but a lot of these are more more colorful uh requests for advice uh first one i did not send you but i just have to get it's more a comment less a request Andy keeps making jokes about Tom Hoagie and the notion of Hogue coin as opposed to Doge coin. And apparently this is a thing. Yeah. Um, this is from Jake Marsh. Did you know there was a little Doge coin spinoff called Hoge coin? We'll call it Hoagie coin for this uh, podcast. One of my buddies put some money into it and it shot to the moon netting him close to 600 grand. Sounds like Tom Hoagie's first quarter on tour. But like a middling PGA Tour player, it soon crashed and burned with the spotlight on it. So uh, I just had to get that off. I'm not aware of all these alternate currencies or cryptocurrencies, but Hoagie coin was apparently a real one. So anyway. There's there's somebody out there who's like, this is my Hoagie coin summer house. It was all about <laughs> Hoagie coin. And it's not us. It's not you and I. Oh, that's good. All right, let's go to the next one. This is from Gregory. It's about a long drive contest lost to somebody on unequal footing. I need retroactive advice or possibly advice on how to deal with this kind of situation in the future. About six to seven years ago, I played in a charity scramble that has usual kind of has the usual kind of closest to the pin prizes long drive hole. Now I never have illusions of actually winning the scramble because I record my team's score honestly. Shout out to that. But with an average of 125 mile an hour club head speed, no big deal. So, you know, <laughs> humble brag. Usually I can win a long drive hole if I can hit it straight, a straight one on the fairway, and that way get at least one prize and some notoriety. Well, in this particular year on the long drive hole, I connected on 
one right down the middle, probably around 330 yards, and figured I'd win this one easy. When they announced the winners, I was halfway out of my chair until I heard someone else's name called, and up walks a 13-year-old girl to collect the (laughs) longest drive prize. Now, I was sure she is a great player in her own right, but the women's tees were 100 yards, say forward tees, were 100 yards in front of the men's tees, or back tees, that's the appropriate terminology, I think, Forward, 100 yards forward of the men's tees, and it doesn't seem particularly fair that she would win a long drive with a 100-yard head start. Much to my surprise, years later, I'm watching the U.S. Women's Amateur Finals, and I recognize the name as the girl who won the long drive in that charity contest. Instantly recognizable because of the type of flower. No name drive-bys here. So uh, a player. She, she was 13 at the time, probably very, very good then. Yeah. Continued to be very, very good if she's in the women's amateur. And the future in this situation, do I just sit and get screwed out of my only chance of collecting a prize at this charity scramble because I lose to a 100-yard head start? Or do I check in advance that winners of the long drive should have to actually hit the all-caps longest drive? Do I attend a future LPJ event and confront the offender for unscrupulous stealing my, of my 15 seconds of fame seven years ago? Yeah, I don't recommend going to the LPGA event. I think that was a facetious suggestion and yelling at this uh, now whatever 20-year-old woman about her 13-year-old activity. About a thing she doesn't care at all yeah. if oh, she no. remembers it. No. This is way more important to you no. than it is to her. What do you make of this? Head hundred yard head start, which I think yeah. is not precise terminology, right? Because right. different Let's swing speeds, different yeah. like it's not head yeah. start necessarily. But but it's not unusual yes. to see that like I don't know, call it maybe like a 70, 80 yard spread between the backs yep. and the fronts yep. on like a par five. Oh yeah, you can see a lot of that. Right. Um I guess my question to this listener is, is it that you lost to somebody who was on the forward teaser? Is it that you lost to a 13 year old? Because I think if it was like a 22 year old who was like a former college golfer or something and you were like, oh, well, you know, tip of the cap. I think I'm wondering if how much of this is that it was a 13 year old. Um, I do think maybe the the most sane route here is to go to the organizers and be like, hey, how does this work? And to me, it's like, if you're going to do longest drive, you should just say, we have a prize for each person from each set of tees. Well, there's, like, we're just measuring every, you know, that's sort of the categorization that we're doing. Yeah, as someone who gets dragged into way too many of these damn charity scrambles for, yeah. these, you know, schools that probably don't need it, the charity. Um they usually have a women's lawn drive hole or a right. forward lawn drive hole and another lawn and like the normal tees or a senior lawn drive hole. Like they're usually right. separate. So I think this right. was kind of an oversight and a failing on the organizer's part. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, and I also would, do you think this, this listener would be as bothered if they had lost closest to the pin in this way? Like if you had lost closest no. to the pin with the same, but the, the but advantage like, is still there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Part three, that's 85 yards and you right. were hitting from 130 right. or something like right. that. Right. Right. And I don't, I don't think they would have had peep to say about it. I don't think so. No, no. It sounds like this guy thought he had it in the bag and it got yeah. stolen from, like he connected on one, a great drive, 330 down the middle, like very, yeah. that should win you unless you're in a charity scramble with like, you know, a PGA tour players, that's going to, that's going to do well. That's going to win it every time. Um, in the moment, and then we can't do anything about this now, I think you ask organizers for like a cut 
chip yes. me off or the pro shop. Yes. Like you need to yes. chip me off. Like give me a voucher. Of if, some it was, sort. if it was a hundred dollar pro shop credit, ask for like 50, ask yep. for 30, something like, yep. Hey man, like this drive was a hundred yards ahead of me. So they started a hundred yards ahead of me. I think I should get something for a three thirty down the middle on a right. charity scram. I think that, I think that's fair. I think that's, that's legit. You can't get um, out of your seat and make a scene at any kind of scramble. You just can't no. be that guy. You cannot no. shout. You cannot stomp your feet. You can't confront her seven years later or whatever. That's not how it goes. No, so. no. You know what? Probably should have been spending the last six or seven years hitting the gym. Just getting big. <laughs> That's the answer. 3.30. Work on that club head speed like Bryson. Right. The 18 That's pro, right. shakes, pro shake right. shakes a day. Let's get yeah. to 360, baby. <laughs> All right. Next one from Sanjay. Uh, wife, new to golf is the subject line, which sounds, you know, we'll see where this goes. My wife who knows nothing about golf, i.e. does not even know what a golf hole is or how many there are, wants to learn to play. That's fantastic. The catch is she wants me to teach her. That sounds terrible. Opposite of fantastic. <laughs> I am pretty average handy. I'm a pretty average 10 handicap. My plan is for us to go to the driving range and have a joint lesson. So I'm with her and can support her but she is actually getting help from a pro rather than mediocre tips from me to learn how to play thoughts, general advice, general thoughts, question mark. Um, go ahead, Ryan. So, so my thought, and, and I have never taught anybody how to play a lick of golf. Sure. So maybe this is wrong, but my thought was, why don't you start with short game stuff? Why don't you start with putting, some light chipping, because you can sort of start to teach some of the fundamentals. Here is how you grip a club. Here is what your stance should look like. Like, here is sort of roughly how your body's going to move without having to say like, all right, In depth. here's the three wood. Yeah. Rip that. Like, I wonder if that is sort of the baby step way to sort of be like, hey, how did you feel about that? Did you, were you comfortable with it? without the pressure of you're on the driving range and you're trying to like actually make contact successfully. You know, you may have never taught anybody a lick of golf, uh, you know, swing advice, but you're on top of it. This is how all the okay. greats, they, you learn it from the green back. This is how they tell the you, this is what Earl did with tiger and why mm -hmm. tiger, you know, this is generally the accepted method. You start, you know, start from the green back and work your way up back. Um, on Sanjay's particular, I, I think that's great. I think maybe start with her, you know, chipping and putting if you want to be involved. Yes. My general statement would be like, try to be as involved as little as possible. Like, and don't <laughs> be like, and uh, I don't know if this particular, my situation, it's generally how it goes with spouse to spouse. It doesn't yes. matter whether it's the wife or the husband, whatever it is, spouse to spouse. Like, it's just a bad scene. Right. I'd say even if you are a golf pro, a teaching pro, I think even that's sort of full of, of, of danger. That's a minefield. And what he's worked out here is I think is a pretty nice middle path where you're there for encouragement, um, but not like the actual nuts and bolts uh, um, instruction. So he has a pro giving a joint lesson and he can also chime in to the wife and, and encourage her. I think, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of merit to this. I think if you do this, though, if it is a truly joint lesson, you have to be prepared for it to be less useful. To, like, it's going to be yeah, yeah. kind of dumbed down for you. Yeah. So don't do not do this and then get frustrated when you're like, oh, we went over. Like, truthfully, 
some of the stuff they're going to go over with a novice is probably not a bad thing for you to review either. But it's going to feel right. like, why am I Billy Madison that Madisoning this and starting back in first grade? Yes. The tip, honestly, might be like, keep your head down. Sure. But when you say it, like, yes. what the hell does that mean? What the, right. Shut up. This is the most right. intuition. Like, right. what, what I do am you mean? keeping my head yeah, down. What are you talking? But when somebody else says it, it just has like, it's a better, different yes. effect. So, yes, yes I, I think you've I think. I think the other thing is then if you do this with, if you do this with a, uh, uh, a, a pro and it doesn't go well, now it's a bonding experience for the two of you. And you can be like, oh, that <laughs> sucked. Good. But if it's you teaching it, it doesn't go well. Oh, you got that's nothing. Just, that's yeah. just, that you're donezo. You got yeah. nothing. All right. Next one from Dan. It's titled hole in one pool dilemma. This, this is a good I love one. This one. This I love this one. Very unique. Um, there's a group of guys at our club that do that throw. Uh, oh, sorry. There's a group of guys at our club that do a $100 throw in each year for any guy in the pool that gets a hole in one at our course. Over the years, it's grown to over 100 plus people. So it's a cool little payday for the few people each year who get an ace. And now the women at the club have established a pool as well, which is cool. That's awesome. Not everyone participates in the pool. So from time to time, someone that decides to participate in the pool gets an ace. Uh, someone that decides not to participate in the pool gets an ace, and it's kind of painful to have to see and hear everyone congratulate the person, and then the same breath immediately mention the $10,000 pot he missed out on. <laughs> on to the question. Our club has a laid-back one-day event each year that many of the people in the pool play in. In the event, the pros put three pins in the green on one of our shortest part threes, and there are prizes for players that make a birdie. A couple years ago, one of the guys in the pool made a hole-in-one on this hole, during the event, when it had three pins and fuckery ensued. Everyone was happy for him, but the group was very split on whether he deserved to get paid. Parentheses, which he obviously did not, the emailer adds. The guy who got the ace was adamant and outspoken that everyone pay, and he was met with resistance from a number of guys. I initially sent him $33.33 via Venmo, mostly to grind his gears, but also because he didn't deserve squat. After a couple of days, I sent him the balance... Uh, because it wasn't worth the grief. Plenty of guys never paid, and eventually the situation faded in the background, but once a year it is dredged back to the surface during this event. We didn't have clear guidance established for this scenario at the time, but we have updated the tracking sheet on the Google spreadsheet to reflect the new policy that you must declare which pin in advance if your shot is for the pool. What is the expert opinion on whether this should be considered a true hole-in-one, and does it satisfy the criteria for payment from pool participants? So short three... And there are three different holes, pins in the green for this one day kind of laid back event. Go ahead. I mean, uh, let's let's do the lawyerly thing here and let's pull this to an absurd uh, factual. You can remind me why I dropped out. Let's say that this uh, you go to this event, right? And here's your short par three. And the kindly greenskeepers have put in 100 pins. Because they really want everybody to have an awesome time. They want this to be Plinko. Yeah. If you got a hole-in-one on that, you would not go to the rest of the membership and be like, hey, like you would understand that that's ridiculous. Yep. Yep. Fundamentally, three is not, I don't think is that different. Like <clears throat> the idea of, the idea of a hole-in-one is, is that you have holed out on the only hole. Like <laughs> if, if, if you were, if you hit some bonkers shot off the tee 
that bounced off a tree back to the green behind you and went in that pin, you yeah. wouldn't say that's a hole in one. Gosh, you got all sorts of co- like uh, factuals. It doesn't matter. Like I, I look. I think this as a, I think as a gesture of goodwill, it would have been understandable if everybody had said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna give you something. We want you like this is supposed to be fun. We want you to have like a good time, but like." You can't carry this around as a grudge. It's not a hole in one. It's just not. It just isn't. And to claim that it is, is absolute nonsense. I like the idea of now having to call your shot yes. that you're hitting. Yes. To. That, yes. Which I think is proof positive that this wasn't a hole in one. If that's the right. I mean, isn't that also another further supporting evidence that like now you have to call it. I mean, you can't just hit it all willy nilly towards the right, green right. and go in, whether you intended to or not. Is is we can't establish intent on this particular yes, instance. Yes. And I think to collect whatever it is, a, a pretty substantial payday, ten thousand dollar pot or something like that, in some instances, is preposterous for three holes in a green. Your chances. It's just this is a sub category of like. The debate of is it an ace if you do it on a par three course? And there's like a lot of these kind right. of hypotheticals and actual instances. So, but three holes in the green does not count. It's not no. an ace. It's not no, an ace. So. no, no. And like, I would understand if people said, you know what, we're going to buy you like a nice bottle of booze or we're going to take you out to dinner or something. Like, it's still a fun thing. Yeah. And I understand why you got hyped up about it. But like, if we're, if if previous uh, emailer is going to get mad that somebody hitting from the forward tees out drove him, this is like way I can't imagine what his reaction would have been. Right. This, this is much worse. <laughs> yes. All right. Do you have time for one more? You got to yeah, go. Yeah. Let's do one. All let's right. do one more. One more from Mutre. Love that name. First of all, uh, it's not about golf. He says I want to be clear. It's about paddle tennis. Uh, with <laughs> all right. Now to my inquiry. Last year, a friend of mine played in the PTI 20-plus national championships. We're just doing all the country club sports here, paddle. 20-plus national championships. Think of it like a gross golf tournament where your index has to be a certain number or higher to enter. So you got to be, like, not the best, it seems yeah. like. He and his partner won quite easily. I think they won 6-1, 6-0 in the finals. The friend group was happy for them because they clear, clearly proved they were a little better than the similarly, similarly rated players. Struggling to read today. One, one year later... The tournament is open for registration again, and one player's, quote, handicap drifts above the 20 line. So that seems to imply that the handicap is a recent move, just kind of slowly crept onto the proper or the right side, favorable side. Like an NBA team tanking, basically. One player's handicap drifts drifts above the 20 line. He, all caps, re-enters the same event. And over the last couple of days, won the championship once again, claiming as his, quote, second consecutive national title. Being impressed is off the table. But my question is this. Is this man a disgrace? It strikes me as that a competitor would look to challenge himself at a higher level and not prey on weaker competition at the same event year after year. Thoughts appreciated. I This is of a piece with the club championship flight. Like, what, you know, what flight should you play in if you're cleaning up on the D yep. flight, but your yep. handicap is on the border. Um, what do you think, Ryan? You've seen Bull Durham, I assume. Yes, but I wouldn't say it's fresh. That's fine. Okay. Like, what's important is that it's about a guy who, Kevin Costner is a guy who's been in the minor leagues forever, had like a brief taste of the major leagues, but is mostly like this renowned figure 
at the lower level of baseball. Bull Durham would be a terrible movie if if Kevin Costner's character got to the majors and was like, oh, this sucks. I would like you to send me back to Durham because I'm dominant there. Like his character would have nothing to root. You wouldn't root for the character in the slightest. Right. Like this is another good analogy. Like the whole one. This is, this is, yeah, this is like, I, I will say this. The the they've used up all their goodwill here. If they if if they do this a third time, it's like no. Yeah, actively rooting again, actively rooting for you to lose. I think the emailer frames it pretty well here. Impressed is off the table, which it is, yep. and yep. it's more like questioning: Is this man a disgrace? Like we're shading. We're, I don't think I'm there yet, but it's kind of some BS. It's a BS move. I think if you really went six one six zero or whatever dominant you know score it was last year, and now yeah. you kind of slowly drift above the 20 line to get into the same level. Um, It doesn't seem, I gotta say, it doesn't seem fun. Like it it just doesn't it. Whenever you hear about like, Oh, this like 22 year old lied about their age to play high school basketball, like the the little league world series and be like, Oh, it turns out this pitcher was like 19 or something. Right. It's like, I understand wanting to win. But it doesn't seem fun to no. just be like, oh, I'm crushing these people who aren't nearly as good as I am. Well, this emailer says the guy seems to be having a blast going around saying he's the second consecutive <laughs> national title. So I don't know. He doesn't know what his friends are saying about him behind I would back. definitely, I would definitely, for like birthday gifts, I would uh, get him asterisk themed things <laughs> going forward. All right. That does it for this Friday's golf advice. Uh, Ryan, thank you for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter. Is it still Celebrity Hot Tub? It's still Celebrity the Hot handle Tub. The handle yeah. and all yeah. that. Yeah. Your name, the name portion is your actual name now. Yes. But yeah, yes. Celebrity Hot Tub. Subscribe to this Shutdown Full Cast if you do not already. My, my uh, hunch is that you do. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, man. 